Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Friday, February 2nd, day 119 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borsell Dan here with our military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian on this rainy morning. Hi, Manny. Hi, Amanda. Manny is back from a brief trip into West Han Yunus, and we'll hear about the status of the fighting on the ground in Gaza in light of Defense Minister Yoav Gallant's recent comments. We'll hear about an undercover operation in a Janine hospital that is really straight out of an action movie, as well as confirmed use of seawater in the terror tunnels. All this and much more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Before we dive into what's happening in the Gaza Strip, Qatar's foreign ministry spokesman stated last night that Hamas has given, quote, initial positive confirmation to a proposal for the secession of fighting in Gaza and the release of hostages, but the Palestinian terror group swiftly denied doing so. This is a changing story, so please look at our ongoing live blog for updates. On Thursday, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant vowed that the Israeli military will reach and dismantle Hamas's Rafah Brigade, just as it is currently working to do so in Khan Yunus. But in a phone call between Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin and Gallant, according to a readout from the U.S. Defense Department, the two discussed, quote, Israel's shift to low-intensity operations in Gaza, support for a diplomatic solution along the Israel-Lebanon border, and stability in the West Bank. All three points seem like goals versus realities to me. And in fact, it appears that the fighting in southern Gaza is more intense than ever. So, Manny, you were just in Khan Yunus this week. And what were you shown? Which version of Gallant did you witness on the ground? What I witnessed was the intensive fighting in uh, Khan Yunus in the western part, which is basically the, the last area of Khan Yunus that the army is still working to capture. Um, there's the uh, refugee camp, his- historically named, of course, not related to the war, that the army is currently uh, encircling. There is um, many Hamas members still there. Uh, much of the population has actually evacuated the area and moved to the uh, Mawasi area on the coast, which is the humanitarian zone, uh, as well as to Rafah uh, further south. And as Gallant said, Hamas's Khan Yunus brigade is essentially dismantled, or they're very, very close to it. And it, it's sort of a this large operation that began a few weeks ago that is about to wrap up completely, just as we saw in northern Gaza, where the army 
captured all of the areas and it's shifted to low intensity. Very similar things are going to happen in Khan Yunus as well. The big question is, uh, is when the army will actually operate in Rafah. I mean, Gallant is vowing that Israel will reach Hamas there, will dismantle them there. Uh, he said he'll eliminate, the army will eliminate everyone there who's a terrorist. Uh, the problem is that um, Israel can't, cannot carry that out just yet, especially with the international pressure, um, with this uh, call between Gallant and his counterpart. And then there's also the uh, Egyptians who are not too keen on Israel operating there and causing a refugee crisis and having Palestinians attempt to um, basically break into Egypt if fighting uh, erupts in that area. Um, so it's uh, really a big a big problem that much of the Palestinian population is currently residing in the Rafah area. Uh, it's normally a city, an area of around 400,000 and now has more than 1.3 million. So I mean, Israel does want to reach there, does want to dis- does want to dismantle Hamas entirely, but it does require these two things, which is uh, either moving the population and having uh, Egypt to agree to this uh, sort of operation being carried out there. Earlier in the week, Gallant also told members of the Knesset's Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee that Israel will maintain military control of the Gaza Strip once the war against Hamas is over. How do you see this playing out? Well, we're seeing similar things already in northern Gaza. We do need to um, mention that in the West Bank, there is obviously Israeli settlements. uh, And that is another thing that Israeli troops uh, need to protect in addition to their regular raids against Palestinian uh, cities to arrest terror suspects, Hamas members, and those planning attacks. In Gaza, um, Israel doesn't, I mean, at least... uh, Officially, even though there are some members of the Knesset calling for, have plans to re-establish settlements in Gaza. So, the the only um, the only thing that's very similar that w- may be similar to the West Bank is the daily or nightly raids in the in the region, which would see uh, we're already seeing it now in northern Gaza, where a large number of troops, usually at the level of a, of a brigade. Um, carry an operation inside Gaza, locate uh, Hamas members, kill them, detain some of them, uh, locate rocket launches and other caches of weapons. And that is something we've seen in the West Bank for um, decades already, where Israeli troops carry out nightly arrest raids uh, and oftentimes engage in clashes with with Palestinian gunmen. Um, so that is really the, the only similarity. If uh, Considering that Gallant said that Israel will not have any civilian uh, control over Gaza, just military. Um, that seems that Israel, at, le- at least Gallant, hopes that there won't be any um, any settlements, or any um, Israeli civilian control over the Palestinians, and hoping to get another uh, another actor in place uh, to to basically um, be responsible for the Palestinian civilians in Gaza. In perhaps another sign of how the war is playing out on the ground, the Home Front Command last night eased restrictions in most communities near the Gaza Strip border for the first time since the war began on October 7th. What kind of restrictions are there right now? So the um, the army has lifted some, not not in all the towns, but in many of the towns near the Gaza border within, within the uh, seven kilometer range of the Gaza border. And now in all but 10 towns, people will be allowed to gather, I think it's 100 people outdoors and 300 people indoors. Uh, and schools will technically be allowed to um, 
return and, and operate once again if they have an adequate bomb shelter. Uh, although I don't think um, uh, many of the schools will reopen um, because uh, what happens is in these towns that are um, near the border and in other local councils across the country with lots of small towns, the schools usually serve multiple communities. Uh, and if you have a school that's serving some communities where the sh- restrictions still remain and some that don't and these people are still uh, evacuated from their homes, then nobody's going to actually be at school. So uh, that's something to take into account. But in places like Sderot, then schools will return um, uh, as as usual. Uh, the 10 communities, which are Nirim, Kerem Shalom, Niroz, Kisufim, Enashlosha, Sufa, Cholit, Nitivasara, Kfar Aza, and Nachal Oz, the restrictions or the stricter restrictions will uh, remain and that includes capping outdoor gatherings at 50 and indoor gatherings at 100. Um, much of um, the areas of those towns are anyway closed military zones. The army still operating in those areas. There's artillery batteries all over those uh, places and all the civilians who live there and have not yet returned. So um, these restrictions don't really matter too much considering that people aren't there. But in the towns where people have returned, the army is all is is lifting these uh, restrictions, and that is uh, because of the rate of rocket fire that has significantly decreased uh, in in recent weeks. We've seen much less uh, rocket fire, and even the times where rocket sirens have sounded on the Gaza border, it's mainly rockets that have targeted troops in Gaza that have uh, sort of flown a bit too far. I was really surprised not to see Be'eri on that list of ten settlements because it is such the archetypical place of the massacre. And as you noted, many of these places are still really destroyed. So on the one hand, the Home Front Command is giving this easing of restrictions, but I really don't know still how many people this will affect because as you noted, so many of the people are still not going home. Yeah, so it, really the, the it will affect only those who have returned to their homes. And there are some communities, especially those that's, uh, that are slightly more distant from the Gaza border, beyond the four-kilometer uh, line. And it will, be, it will affect them. But regarding schools, it remains to be seen if the local authorities actually reopen the schools, even though they, they technically can do now. We'll go to a short break. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So... Educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts.
And we're back in a scene that really could have been thought up in Hollywood. On Tuesday morning, Israeli commandos killed three members of an armed Hamas cell hiding inside a hospital in the northern West Bank city of Jenin. What took place there? Really what took place, and I recommend everyone go see the the surveillance camera footage from, from, this, uh, from this incident, is really quite extraordinary. We saw um, a number of Israeli commandos, I believe from the uh, police's uh, Yamam unit. They entered the Ibn Sina hospital in Jenin um, dressed as regular people. There was uh, one of them dressed as a Muslim woman with a with a hijab on. One of them was in a, a with a wheelchair. Another seemed to be like a couple with a baby carrier. And then as they entered the hospital and as they reached the room where they where the where the three gunmen were apparently hiding. They pull out uh, automatic weapons with uh, suppressors on them or silencers on them, killed the three wanted men who had uh, been allegedly planning a major terror attack, and then head- headed out the hospital. Within 10 minutes, it was wrapped up, and the Israeli officers were all, all gone. And really just a very clean operation. There was no additional um, casualties or, or uh, any clashes in the area. Uh, they were just in and out in a second and the, these three uh, these three members of um, to one of them is a Hamas member the other two are from the Islamic Jihad uh, they were just only they were targeted and they were killed and they had been planning what the Shin Bet says was an attack inspired by the events of October 7th so likely uh, an attack that would involve raiding uh, an Israeli town and killing civilians there one of the the head of the cell, Mohammed Jalama, had uh, been in contact with Hamas officials abroad. Uh, he'd been involved in other attacks, uh, pr- providing weapons for other terrorists to carry out attacks. Uh, he'd also been injured in while preparing a car bomb, which was also at some point in the last year. So really um, somebody who had been wanted for, for quite a while. In another example of creative thinking, on Tuesday, the IDF finally did announce that it has been flooding some tunnels in the Gaza Strip with seawater, confirming basically what was an open secret for several weeks, if not months. And interestingly, this announcement came a couple days after the Wall Street Journal reported that as much as 80% of Hamas's tunnel system beneath the Gaza Strip could still remain. What is the scope of the flush operations, as far as you know? It's not very big. It was a bit hyped up by some foreign media reports. Uh, And then in Israel, it was barred from publication. Um, We could only report based on what other outlets were reporting. Um, I've seen this, I mean, from one of my, from a couple of my trips to Gaza, I've seen with my own eyes what this looks like. And it is limited to... um, tunnels that are close to the beach because to pump seawater it's very difficult to pump it over more longer distances and to lay out the piping so it's really only being done uh into the tunnels that are close to the beach and it's um uh, from what i understand the tunnels that are usually the smaller ones and the um what they call the fighting tunnels so the tunnels that hamas uses to maneuver its um, its fighters around Gaza and to attack troops and to pop up and uh, launch attacks against soldiers rather than the um, large tunnels where um, underground weapons sort storage sites are and uh, maybe where hostages were kept and where senior officials are hiding. Not those tunnels because those the army wants to and has been entering, scanning, uh, searching for evidence 
in in time uh, also killing Hamas members inside them um this the sort of the small tunnels where Hamas uh, fighters are believed to be maybe hiding and planning to ambush troops those are the ones that they're they're flooding um also to to help um, sort of push these uh, terrorists to come out from underground it's a way of uh, flushing them out uh, and also to to try and um get the tunnel to sort of collapse on itself there's a few other factors that the army's taking into account as well and not to um uh, flood a tunnel that could um uh, contaminate the groundwater system there um so it's really only on the shallower tunnels and the ones closer to the sea where there's no risk of groundwater being contaminated there whereas the very deep tunnels um, which are deeper in the strip as well. Um, those ones are not being uh, flooded. Uh, it has basically been a trial run, and we also know that this is not the only method that they're using to demolish tunnels. There's, they've been using explosives, different types of explosives, to collapse different types of tunnels, uh, and there are other method methods that we we can't actually talk about. But uh, the army has a, a basically a few options when it comes to uh, demolishing a tunnel. And what do you know about this 80% uh, figure that 80% of Hamas's tunnels still stand? It's very interesting. Um, when I've spoken to officers uh, in Gaza and I've asked them um, what what has surprised them when they've entered Gaza, a lot of them have said that um, the amount of tunnels, the amount of weaponry that they've found has been surprising. Obviously, Israel knew that Hamas is a terror group and has tunnels all over Gaza, but I don't think it realized the scope of it, how much um, how much more of this network actually exists. So when um, the army first targeted these tunnels from the air and reached some of them from the ground and, and, um, and began to destroy them, I think slowly, slowly they realized that there is a lot more here than they initially anticipated. And that's why this 80% number has come and it is um, basically saying that uh, we, you know, the army has demolished some of these uh, tunnels already. But based on what they've seen so far, the amount that could 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 exist throughout Gaza is probably a lot more. And to reach all of them is going to take a very, very, very long time. And is that a tactical goal to reach all of them and destroy all of them? I think the tactical goal is to reach the main tunnel networks and the main hubs and the what they call the strategic tunnels that belong to Hamas, where uh, senior officials hide, where underground weapons manufacturing and storage plants are located, and not every single small shallow tunnel network that is to to fight against troops. If troops enter an area and, and manage to kill all the Hamas gunmen in the area, they don't need to destroy every single tunnel network. There's going to be loads of them in every every other home in some areas. They found a, a tunnel entrance. They don't need to destroy every single one of those. But the the strategic networks is what they're really going for first. We know that in uh, central Gaza, they found a kilometer-long tunnel network which had um, weapons uh, manufacturing, rocket manufacturing plants underneath it. There was one in Khanunis that was also a kilometer long. That one was used to hold hostages. It had several cages and holding cells. Um, those are the tunnels that the army's really going after, and then perhaps later on they'll go back and 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 actually destroy all of the other smaller ones that they've located on the way. In terms of purposeful destruction, there's also this idea of a buffer zone that is being created as a defensive measure. Uh, apparently, a one kilometer deep buffer zone between Gaza's border with Israel. What is the army actually publicly stating about this? 
The army has publicly stated that it is establishing a buffer zone. It hasn't said the one kilometer, although uh, I have confirmed this with army officials that it is about uh, about one kilometer. It depends on the area, but more or less. Um, and essentially what the army is doing is demolishing all structures in the area uh, within this zone, and it will give the army a, a clearer view of the Gaza Strip so that in the future there will be um, more defenses to prevent any infiltration attempts into Israel. Uh, and it is also um, apparently so that residents who are returning to, to their homes will feel a bit safer knowing that they can look out the window and the first you know, home in Gaza is, is going to be quite a, a distance away. Um, until now, we know that Israel has had um, its Gaza border fence, has sort of had its own buffer zone. It's about 300 meters in some areas, a bit less in others. And that is uh, built in Israeli territory. So the difference here with this new buffer zone is that it's in in the Gaza, uh, in, on the Gaza side of the fence. Um, and uh, right now the army is working to demolish all of these buildings. It is taking time. Um, they've only done some of them so far, mostly in central Gaza and a bit in, in the south. Uh, and in the north, a bit less so. Um, and um, in time, it'll be um, sort of a, a permanent thing. Um, there's also another zone in Gaza, which is not really a buffer zone, but it's under, sort of under the same plans where um, sort of a, there's a, a corridor, they call it, and it splits the Gaza Strip in half between the north and the south. Uh, and that enables the army to carry out its um, sort of lower intensity operations in the northern Gaza area and to prevent anyone from returning from southern Gaza to northern Gaza. That, I think, is um, a more temporary um, uh, measure. I mean, eventually, uh, Israel will hope to not, you know, hold troops in Gaza all the time. Um, but the buffer zone does ap appear to be shaping up to something that is uh, a permanent uh, measure. Let's turn to the north, which is very active in itself. And on Wednesday, the IDF said that fighter jets carried out strikes overnight against Syrian army positions in southern Syria in response to a rocket attack on the Golan Heights the previous evening. Now, the IDF is taking responsibility for strikes in Syria in with increasing frequency, it seems to me. And what do you make of that, Manny? Really, the army has had a policy of not confirming or denying strikes in Syria, apart from, and this has actually been consistent, strikes that are in response to an attack. So in recent weeks, we've seen many more attacks from Syria, about 30 or 40 rockets have been fired from Syria since the beginning of the war. Uh, and in turn, the army has been conducting strikes in response and, and therefore also confirming those strikes. So the policy I don't think has changed. Um, Israel still will not comment. There's been several other strikes that we've seen that killed senior uh, IRGC officials and, and Hezbollah officials in, in Syria as well. The army has not commented on those. But the strikes that are, that are in response to rocket attacks on the Golan Heights, the army has confirmed. And there's been indeed a few of those in recent weeks. What else is happening on the north in the last several days? Uh, in the north, we're, we're still seeing um, Hezbollah attacks from Lebanon, although I would say maybe slightly less than usual. The army has been working to uh, push Hezbollah back from the border, and there has been some success there, um, but they are still carrying out drone attacks and anti-tank missile attacks against army positions on the border. I think over the past week there hasn't been any significant uh, incident. There's been no deaths or injuries on the Israeli side, no real serious damage. 
Um, so it's really just being, it's continuing the same way, and the army is still striking Hezbollah sites, Hezbollah cells. I believe the latest number of Hezbollah members killed since the beginning of the war is 177. Uh, and there's another 20 or so members of other terror groups, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and uh, some other smaller groups as well who have been killed uh, in Israeli strikes in Lebanon. But to remind our listeners, of course, that tens of thousands of Israelis are still evacuated from the northern border and living in hotels, temporary lodgings, etc., etc. Manny, thank you so much for joining me today and for all of these updates. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have a question about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>